0: my, my purpose to walk this earth is not to generate revenue. My, my purpose is to help people find out ways that they can liberate themselves from a system of control in their mind to create a system of liberation so that they can find emotional and spiritual fulfillment. And I had to go through a place where I was rocked to my core and beaten to a pulp twice to get through the thickness of concrete around what needed to be um, unleashed for me to be able to find a better way. And some spirit or touch of the universe came in and said, you just need to focus on being happy. And, And I said, okay, well, that's my first design principle for the rebirth of my professional life, which is where my identity was still very strong. Prioritize your happiness.
1: How are we doing out there, folks? This is your host with the most, Kenny Vaughn. I play for Team Breakline, and I am here with two phenomenal partners in crime. Ladies, if you could introduce yourself to the people.
2: What is up, everybody? It is Sophia. I also play for Team Breakline.
3: Hey, everybody, this is Bethany Coates. So happy to be here with two of my favorite people, Soap and Kenny.
2: Yes, and to kick things off, y'all, we would love to read for you guys a lovely review that seabode8 left us five stars and it says it's lit the breakland arena spits truth the hosts are captivating genuine and vulnerable with their audience the speakers are absolute badasses with stories that need to be heard from their struggles to their triumphs they keep it real and inspiring Thank you so much, seabode Eight, for leaving this us this review. We so appreciate it. That's awesome! And if you would like to be featured on our next episode, um, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would love to hear from you, and of course, it helps us spread the good word.
1: Ooh, seabode Eight, you you give us you giving us mm. some wings to fly on this week. Okay, for real. Okay. <laughs> So for this conversation, I'm super excited because we got a chance to hear from Ali Azar, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at Hover. For those of y'all who might not be in the know, Hover is an amazing company. They're actually transforming the exterior home improvement industry. And basically, you can take a few pictures on your phone and what it's going to do is it creates an interactive 3D model for you to do your home improvements and estimates. Really cool software that they're developing uh, and really thankful to get a chance to hear from, from Allie in this conversation. So, Bethany, would love to hear any thoughts that you took away from this conversation. I know he was dropping dimes and wisdom and so much knowledge. Would love to hear what you took away from the conversation.
3: I absolutely loved interviewing Ali Kenny and one of the reasons why is he's so upfront about the personal journey that he's made across the course of his life and he talked in very moving terms about being burdened by what he described as a root of shame that was very deeply integrated with His personhood, who he was, where he came from, his family, his experience as an immigrant to the U.S., his experience as someone with an extremely modest family background and upbringing. And he also brought us into his experience of moving from that root of shame to a root of pride, you know, and really coming to a place of self-love and self-acceptance through a tremendous amount of work and a tremendous amount of bravery. But that, that transition feels very much like a universal human transition. I think a lot of us have, have had moments of grappling with shame and fear related to who we are and the way that we are within the world. And to hear how Ali transcended that was deeply motivating for me. So I absolutely loved getting to spend the time with him, Kenny.
2: Mm, mm.
1: Now, Sophia, I know you got a chance to, to get a couple insights here. Would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation
2: as well. I mean, Bethany is completely right. Ali is a supremely emotionally mature human being and has reflected so much on it. And there is so much to glean from the insights that he's done through his own you know, journey to self-discovery. Um, and the one piece that I took away from this also is that when he was interviewing for MongoDB, he tells this story of how he essentially got the job because the um, person hiring him was so inspired by his past history of when he was younger he had been selling gutter cleaning subscriptions door to door in these really affluent neighborhoods. And that just the idea that we carry in Breakland all the time that excellence is transferable. If you can sell gutter cleaning subscriptions, you can sell SaaS software. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you can sell this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that, that really, that brought it home for me.
1: So I think what's interesting, cause these are both phenomenal points and I agree 100% that as I was listening to this conversation, i felt more grounded i was like man i'm i'm becoming more empowered by listening to the wisdom that ali was dropping and you know you almost forget that you're listening to a chief revenue officer speak and one of the most fascinating parts about this conversation was hearing ali's approach to building the team over at hover and he talked about how the most important asset that they have is the people and while he has to bring in revenue to the company it's just so they can grow the company with more amazingly talented individuals and so to see that strategy manifest and play out in real time has been amazing i know he just brought on a hitter to his team one of our Mm breakliners, natasha sprue so he is putting the revenue where his where his words are and we're so excited to see this team grow so um I know we've given you a lot to think about, but this is just a phenomenal conversation, folks. So we hope that you take away as many insights as we have from today's discussion with Ali. Ladies, I don't know about you, but maybe we should give the people what they came here for. What do y'all think?
3: Let's get on over there. Let's do it. So Ali, you, you're you're so fancy. You're chief revenue officer of this high-flying startup called Hover. And I want to get into present day, but I think in order to understand your perspective on leadership and your perspective on sort of how to thrive in life, actually we need to roll it all the way back to your childhood. And yeah. could we start there? You were born in Afghanistan.
0: Yes. I was born in Afghanistan and I, it's interesting. I'll just one point before I jump into the born in Afghanistan part, I feel quite fancy um, with my title, (laughs) but I, 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 I just, I think you can appreciate this uh, as well, Bethany. I, I worked my entire career to get the title and then I get the title and I wish I didn't have the title, Mm -hmm. you know, because I just want to be able to connect to people one-on-one without like the preconceived notions that come with like, oh, I can't speak to this person about this topic or I'll be judged by this executive if I say this. And I, I've just um, realized how powerful the free flow of communication is, you know, within an organization and or any type of relationship. But um, so it's interesting you brought up the title. Uh, yeah, so my, my family uh, was very... Um, a highly educated family in Afghanistan. My my father is a physician and came from a very well-respected family. And uh, I was born in Afghanistan. My two older sisters uh, who were five and seven years older than me, uh, we uh, got caught up in the entire, um, just the politics of the war with Russia and and what was happening in the proxy war that America was fighting um, uh, with Afghanistan uh, against the Russians. And uh, it just got to a point where it wasn't, it wasn't a tolerable situation for my family, but it was a really, really gut-wrenching situation because it was like the decision between like the life of my, my, you know, mom and dad's children and themselves, and then the patriotism of staying and, and fighting for your country. Um, and they eventually fled the country. It was a kind of middle of the night type of thing and, um, end up in a refugee camp in Peshawar. And then in the, um, you know, tiny apartment in, in Newark, New Jersey, uh, which my dad j- jokes now was more treacherous than, than Afghanistan in 1980. Um, but, uh, but, you know, he, he had um, a few hundred dollars in his pocket and, and, and nobody spoke English. And, you know, thinking about dealing with the type of trauma associated with, emotional trauma associated with um, losing people in, in your family, um, and ha- having people that you know, r- regular friends, associates, colleagues, co-workers being killed um, when you were just living your life a couple years earlier, and and were getting educated and going to work every day and trying to buy an American muscle car because there was like this kind of slight renaissance period going on in Afghanistan in the '70s, and to. A culture you know, no one you didn't speak a language. You have no context on colloquialisms or the educational system, and got three hundred dollars in your pocket and um, three mouths to feed of kids and a wife, and so it was, um, you know, it was a it was a, a, a trying situation for them. But it was amazing to see you know my mother and fa- father fight fight through that you know and, and kind of the poverty that we dealt with early in our time in America and. Um, it uh you know you, you always wonder if you know what things inside you are innate and and what things what things actually um, are inspired by the experience that you have uh, you know watching my parents uh, struggle and achieve what they were able to achieve for us as their children uh, is is a you know linchpin kind of foundational element to the rest of my life. So it was difficult at the time, but turned out to be some of the best lessons and blessings that that we could have gone through.
3: Mm. And you've, we've talked about, you've told me some of these stories in the past and we've talked about your parents' resilience and their grit and just, you know, total determination to create a new life and a better life um, for themselves and their kids. And you also had to be resilient as a young child you know, kind of being dropped into this completely new environment at school on your own. Do, like, what do you remember about that, that period? You know, when you reflect on that period as a young child, sort of starting over.
0: Yeah. Uh, what
3: stands out to you?
0: Yeah, so, so it was about five years old when we left New Jersey and, and made our way to Jacksonville, Florida. And, um, I lived in Jacksonville for 29 years and it was a wonderful place to grow up. I have some really great friends, uh, lifelong friends from there. And really, uh, you know, nice kind of, um, humble culture and, and, uh, Southern charm, but it, it wasn't necessarily the most tolerant place for a young Afghan immigrant that didn't speak the language, um, to, to grow up. And, you know, there was a lot of bullying and, um, you know being made fun of and uh trying to figure out how to protect myself without fighting because i would just get punished at home if i got into a fight just because of my father's philosophy on um not using violence as a way to solve problems and it, it was a it, to to not know this at the time but to understand this today in terms of what it is to have a root of shame grow inside of you and to have that shame be about the most core parts of your essence as a human being which is your ethnic makeup it made me resent where i was from because i felt like where i was from was being used as the weapon against me uh to kind of like steal my happiness from me and uh it was the initiation of these systems of success that I started to architect to try to prove my worth to not be made fun of, or that I wasn't the dumb foreign kid. And so, you know, the hunger for straight A's and to be good at a particular activity or um, anything that I could do to build these like skyscrapers of success to try to hide that root of shame, um, you know, started to happen at that age. And, you know, I would kiss the ground that my parents walk on a thousand times out of a thousand. Um, and I love them for everything they, that they did and sacrifice for us, but they didn't necessarily know things around like emotional coping and emotional faculty and how to deal with these types of like experiences that a child would have it wasn't something that they necessarily were used to for their children based on how they were raised. and. Um, uh, so it was, you know, it sets a pattern for, for the rest of your life as you start to figure out how you're going to address these issues without emotional faculty that have to do with emotional duress. So it, uh, in one respect was a really difficult set of circumstances to deal with, but in another respect, it, um created the experiences that, that made me the person that, that I am today. So I'm, I'm really thankful and grateful that, that they happened.
3: Mm hmm. And during this period, you, you, you grew up and you became an entrepreneur. Um, you started a couple of companies, I think, and, um, and had that experience of building your own organization. And then you also actually got quite ill, as I recall.
2: Yeah,
0: well, so in that, in that process, uh, in that time frame from, from early childhood um, and adolescence and into my teen years, you know, watching our family struggle um, with the adjustment to coming to America and seeing my parents working so hard to try to provide greater financial and physical security for us, I think is what either planted the seeds of entrepreneurialism or it watered the seeds that were already there. I'm not sure which which one it was first, but my entrepreneurialism was always initially motivated by altruism. And so uh, that kind of capitalist, altruist to try to contribute to my family is what started the lawn mowing service at 10 years old and the babysitting and the newsletter delivery and the bagging groceries and uh, selling candy and any little, little business idea that I could come up with that could give me a chance to, to make some money. And I was a little bit vain, you know, cause I always wanted the new Nikes that would come out and my parents wouldn't buy them for me. So like vanity was in there too. But, um, but, uh, you know, it it, it definitely uh, is what um, helped me think about the world from that lens and that frame of reference of, like, okay, what could I do to contribute? Like, how could I make this situation better? And that was just kind of like my perspective on life was to, like, okay, I could see opportunity in circumstances that I was being faced with. And uh, I... I thought I wanted to actually um, go to school to be a doctor because I idolized my father so much, but but then I did an internship in college and I at the National Institute for Health and I I couldn't kill a rat to save my life <laughs> and, uh, in the lab and uh, and so I, I ended up uh, switching my internship to the National Small Business Administration and I would for any of the listeners that either are in college still or or um, have kids that are going to college like. Experiential learning is a really magical yeah. thing to um, get exposed to. So I I came back from that experience. I, I started my first company in um, in 1998. And it was a company to help students deal with finding um, scholarships and financial aid to go to college because I was scammed by a search service when I was in high school. And it gave me the motivation to really, like, dig into that um world Mm
1: -hmm. and once
0: i realized how that whole setup of matriculating into college with scholarships and dealing with grants and things of that nature i ended up winning um nine different scholarships it was sixty seventy thousand dollars and uh i used to help counsel kids at college for how they could maximize their chances for winning Mm -hmm. and somebody said to me man you should make a business out of this Mm -hmm. and i was like oh that's a really good idea actually so (laughs) <laughs> when uh, everybody else was trying to like clean the Petri dishes, uh, at NIH, I was always talking to the other, um, people at uh, lunch about my business idea. And, uh, and that's when I, I got transitioned over to, uh, to, to the SBA. And I, I interned over at the national small business administration and I was able to shadow a volunteer there who was, um, uh, basically counseling s- startup small businesses for free yeah. a, as a retiree. And, yeah. um, a really successful entrepreneur and I learned how to write a business plan. And I came back to Jacksonville afterwards and I sold everything I owned. And I, I, I was my own first investor and, and my parents, I moved back in with them and uh, and then I ended up getting an angel investment and a couple million dollar private placement. And I, I sold that company to a public company out of Boston. Uh, but um, I, I index so heavily towards financial accomplishment Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was like the definition for the pursuit of happiness, you know if you mm-hmm. make the money, you can have the stuff and you can be comfortable and safe and 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 that'll protect you right cause mm-hmm. um, that was the the dominant um, force in my life growing up mm-hmm. and uh, get a great education, get a great job, make a lot of money and uh I made myself sick i I, I stressed so much all the time I, I was never present i wasn't in the moment i i I I was a terrorist for my physical health through a lack of emotional well-being
2: mm-hmm. and
0: I always wanted to accomplish more it's I think a very typical kind of immigrant experience your parents are like hey you can do a little better you can do a little better cuz they're desperate for you to survive in this new world right and so they set this like feeling where uh, unintended consequence of I'm not good enough mm. and um And so that, that, that all got mixed into the crock pot and was just really was, it was a lot to deal with. And I, I'm not a scientist, uh, or a cancer researcher, but I have a very strong belief that like stress was a major contributing factor to, to getting me sick. Mm -hmm. And I ended up with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma stage four when I was, um, 23. Mm. And, um, and so I just, you know, was a really good, uh, solid life experience to go through. But what you'd be interested to know is that I, it was like somebody told me I missed my tea time at golf hmm. when they told me I had cancer, because as long as I had the money, I hadn't lost my identity Wow! because my identity was wrapped up in the money. Right. I was just like, Hey, just tell me what I need to do. And I'm going to knock this out. And it wasn't because I was courageous.
2: mm
0: was because the thing I was associating my sense of self to hadn't been taken away.
2: Mm.
0: And when I actually lost my fourth business, which is the first time I wasn't successful in business, it's as if someone had told me I had stage four cancer. Uh. And that's when I felt like there was
3: a death. Yeah. And, and was it at that time, Ali, you lost your company, but you also lost a relationship at the same time? Am I remembering yeah, that correctly?
2: Yeah. yeah
0: so I, the first thing that happened that was a, really rocked me to the core was, um, and I remember I went to a therapist uh, when I was going through the cancer treatments and, and the chemo and the, and the, I was participated in a clinical trial for a, for a, a vaccine, for an immunotherapy um, hmm. that's since been approved uh, by the FDA, which was really cool to be a part of that. But uh the, The loss of the business was like, it felt like a death. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I remember remember crying uh, in my parents' kitchen as a 33-year-old man for like 30 minutes, Mm
2: -hmm. sobbing,
0: having to tell them that I failed Mm -hmm. and was just so embarrassed and Mm -hmm. really emotionally devastated. And I'd never been depressed before, but was definitely in a depression during that time. And I, um, I put all of my identity in this like relationship that I was in at the time. And I put so much pressure on that relationship because I didn't know how to stand up for myself with my Mm. own sense of self and my identity. And so I was taking it from money and I put it in a relationship. And then Mm. when the relationship ended, it felt like I died again. Mm -hmm. And then two times in a period of about two years, two and a half Mm -hmm. years, I felt this like foundational elemental pain mm-hmm. which belied my intellect around like this shouldn't hurt that bad
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then it created an association for me and I have more of a pragmatist mind uh, more so than a l- little bit less now because um, l- I try to be more emotional centric and in- intuition driven but at that time I was like oh I need to dissect this a little bit like how did mm-hmm. this happen? Mm-hmm. And where did this come from? And man, this sucks.
2: Like mm-hmm. I
0: don't I don't wanna feel this again.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: just like I when I got scammed by the scholarship service, you know, I just went full blown Jackson Pollock on the situation, you know, and I was just stuff on the whiteboard everywhere and trying to i am I'm gonna figure this out. And it was a very kind of Brene Brown experience, you know, when she was going through the stuff that she was going through. And um I uh I, it was just really the kind of the start of the greatest journey of my life. Mm. was the, the the journey of self discovery.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but anyway, I talk too much. So I know you might no. have questions. <laughs>
3: no, I um but what occurs to me is you you hit rock bottom and then you had to hit it again. And you hit it again and you and you said I've got to rebuild differently. And you've now over the course of the intervening years rebuilt your your spirit in in such a different way. I mean, you're a chief revenue officer, but I you said something to me once that was something to the effect of I don't care how much revenue we make. It's not about that for me. Yeah. <laughs> and and I I would love for you to talk about that sort of um mental and emotional rebirth and how you constructed it in a way that was really really healthy and positive for you
0: yeah uh, ha- happy to to dig into that <clears throat> you know i i hear a lot of people say hey ali you know what you figured it out because you hit rock bottom you mm-hmm. just got to hit rock bottom and that's how you figure it out and i mm-hmm. said well you know it's true that I figured it out after I hit rock bottom, but it's not true that you have to hit rock bottom to figure it out.
2: Right.
0: And so I don't subscribe to that idea anymore because for every one Ali, there's a whole bunch of other people that don't come back and they're devastated by fear of vulnerability and commitment, their substance abuse, um, anxiety, and it's, um, it's a travesty to the human experience. And mm-hmm. so the outcome of all of this, To just kind of start at the end and work my way back real quick is
2: mm-hmm.
0: my, my, my purpose to walk this earth is not to generate revenue. My, my purpose is to help people find out ways that they can liberate themselves from a system of control in their mind to create a system of liberation so that they can find emotional and spiritual fulfillment and i had to go through a place where i was rocked to my core and beaten to a pulp twice to get through the thickness of concrete around what needed to be um unleashed for me to be able to find a better way now the first crack in the shell gave me the first step in the right direction because in the rising from the ashes phoenix experience that i was Mm. very very fortunate to have and i don't even want to take any credit for it because it's likely the example that my parents set for me of never giving up uh i designed the next phase of my life, which at that point was still quite dominated by professional perspective. Like, it was just, everything was just about my work. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd lost the millions of dollars. I'd owed hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And I had to figure out, like, how am I going to pay these friends and family back that were loaning me this money when I was being a um, an addict, trying to just, like, save the business because I couldn't dare lose it because I would have lost myself. And some spirit or touch of the universe came in and said you just need to focus on being happy and and I said okay well that's my first design principle for the rebirth of my professional life which is where my identity was still very strong prioritize your happiness so I asked myself a question that I'd never asked myself before which is what would I do to be happy as opposed to what would I do to optimize making money and I love the tech companies that I built and sold the first two companies. And I, I loved selling. And I was like, I, I, I kind of hate business ownership. Cause like, I'm not even really that good at it. Like I'm over accommodating Afghani. I just give a bunch of stuff away, you know, and I make stuff harder on me. And, uh, and so at that time I had a really hard time saying no. I just always said I was like a yes guy, you know, I was like Jim Carrey in the movie, you know? And, um, and so <clears throat> being a business owner didn't scale well for my life, but coming into um, software sales, it was like, oh, okay, no brainer. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna go into software sales. And then the second design principle was, where whatever I decide to do based off happiness, I'm gonna go to the place in the world where the smartest people are for the thing that makes me happy. And I said, okay, well, I'm gonna go to the Bay Area and Silicon Valley and, and be around some of the smartest minds in the world because a goldfish can only grow so big in a bowl. But if you put it in the ocean, you know, maybe you can become a great white. And so I just wanted to challenge myself and learn, just, I just wanted to learn.
2: Mm -hmm. And so
0: I, um, was so fortunate to beg, borrow and steal my way into, um, getting a job at MongoDB when they were 30 people.
3: But I want to stop you there because that was not luck again. That was you manifesting that. And as I recall, you did something like, didn't you go and sit in the lobby? like for 12 hours straight until they gave you a job, you did something where you just would not go away or you were the most persistent person that the head of sales had ever seen. Will you tell that story?
0: Sure. Well, I I was, um, I was introduced to the head of sales because his recent fiance was a mutual friend of my ex-girlfriend and I's, And she introduced me to him and you know, I can put myself, I was angry at him at the time. I was like, why don't you just give me this job? But once I became a head of sales and some people that I knew that like never sold before, like, Hey, yeah, you got this job. Like, you just give me this job. I'm like, uh, probably not. Um, but, uh, so I really appreciated the situation that he was in because my resume, I didn't qualify for one of the criteria of the job and uh but i would never let it go I, I i just constantly stayed in touch i sent articles about the business i would give my insights about what i thought they should do and i came up with reasons to provide value to reaching out that wasn't are we there yet are we there yet are we there yet it was what do you think about this and could this be of any value to you or does it help you in any way possible and and then finally he agreed to, to give me an interview uh, and, and he, but he recused himself uh, because of the relationship with, with, through his wife and he's a, you know, newly VP of this company, uh, head of sales. And uh, his name is Ben Sabrin, was became a really good friend of mine and uh, amazing um, sales mind and talent uh, and, and great business acumen. But he introduced me to uh, Max Shearson, who was our president at the time, and he was like, in that kind of um, group of people at Oracle with Larry Ellison, like Sieb, Thomas Siebel and 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 um, and Benioff, and came up through those ranks at that time um, was the um, a senior executive at Mark Logic which was a database company that did really well. And uh, I had one interview, it was supposed to be about thirty minutes, and he stayed with me for about two hours. I flew all the way from Jacksonville to Palo Alto for that one interview, and it was because. The thing that closed him was my story about selling gutter cleaning contracts door to door to homeowners in high end communities and selling them subscriptions. And he said, if I could sell subscriptions for gutter cleaning to high wealth individuals, I could sell software subscriptions to um, to tech buyers. So anyway, that's that's how I got the job. But I I, I learned so much around such incredibly intelligent people. And I was. um, kind of on a pseudo probationary period. Uh, but then within about four months, I was the top rep in the world for the company and then then the top sales leader in the world for the company. And um, um, that um, pursuit of happiness definition that changed for me is what started the process of bringing me to this place where I I, I started to get positive reinforcement. And then when I went two years later after I got the job through the breakup, then it was like, oh, this isn't just about professional stuff. This is about deep interpersonal things. And what what is it that I need to find inside me that is the underpinning to like the answer to all of it? And at that time, I had found stuff around positivity and presence and communication within a work environment. Now it started to be about things at the deepest parts of my human experience and so i started digging towards things related to consciousness and um self-worth and then when i stumbled upon self-love that was uh, just lightning in a bottle moment for me and it was it was an eckhart tolle quote from power of now which was something to the effect of the greatest love in life is not when two people share one light but when two people who focus on their own light to shine as bright as possible, stand next to one another and love without necessity. And in that moment, it was like in the movies where like the lightning strikes and all the stuff starts to make sense. And it just like, and it, and it just, and I was like, oh, self-love.
3: Mm-hmm. But,
0: but I don't know how to love myself.
3: Mm.
0: So then the journey way into the depths started to come back out from the depths right. of, how am i going to love myself how do you love yourself
3: and i want to just remind everyone that <clears throat> you come from a loving family but not necessarily one that talked really openly about emotional well-being and how to build and create emotional well-being within yourself and so this was a little bit like my interpretation of, of you telling the story is I, I sometimes think of you kind of like feeling it out, you know, intuiting what needs to happen next versus some like having a river guide who says, and now this is the next step, you know, yeah. you, you really had to kind of feel it out for yourself and, and discover it yourself.
0: Yeah, what well, it was um it was a very um I don't want to use the word lonely because it wasn't like I was a negative connotation to it, but it was a very singular experience for sure. But I was getting such positive reinforcement along the way. And because I had already discovered presence, I was starting to get to a place where life became the best teacher that I had
2: Hmm. because
0: I was letting myself experience life in the moment. And I was much more aware of what was happening and was gaining perspective as I go. And one of the things I coach within my leadership philosophy with the sales reps and people in the org and all my teams is that if you want deep-seated emotional change, that doesn't come from an intellectual experience. It comes from first having awareness of a situation and then gaining perspective on the situation, then setting an intention of what you want to have happen from that, and then putting attention over time. And if you do those things, you can achieve emotional change. And that's what I started to do. And it was so positively reinforcing that I just kept digging and digging and digging and experiencing and feeling. And, you know, there was just like a, a, an incredible renaissance period for my life. And I went into the, the the phase where I was willing to experience new things and expose myself to things that I had never even considered before, you know, you just, you get to a certain frame of reference and you have these neural pathways that just get created that you keep going down over and over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. and over again. And once you unlock that first one and experience the joy of like new neural connection, then it creates a hunger and an appetite for it. So that's all that had happened was I just got the snowball to start rolling downhill. And I just learned how to ride it. I di- I wasn't even trying mm. to push or control it. I was just letting life go where where it was going to go, which is a little esoteric when you think about it, especially for people who have, like, minds that want to control everything. But somebody told me, like, uh, 2009, you can only gain control by letting it go. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Who who came up with that? <laughs> and then now I'm like, oh, my God, you can only gain control by letting it go. Brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. Genius. <laughs> I knew that all
3: along <laughs> <laughs> so so ali, you you talked about you know just allowing the snowball to roll downhill. Do you remember an experience during that time frame, sort of a seminal experience that was really affirming that that enabled you to know that you were on the right path?
0: Uh, yeah, so I I remember the moment of like how painful it was to, um, I was really afraid of the breakup because my identity was so wrapped up in it. And I was also very codependent in my life at that time. Uh, My entire life, I was very codependent to to, to relationships and I, I needed someone there. It wasn't just that I wanted them there, I needed them there. And there was a moment when I, went through the breakup, even though my ex at the time was willing to try to like stay in it and work it out. But there was a voice inside of me that had finally turned on. That was me speaking to myself saying, don't be a coward. This is not right for you. This doesn't serve Mm -hmm. you. And even though I cried driving six hours on my way back up from Los Angeles to San Francisco after we broke up, I was so empowered in that pain and it was the first time that I had experienced a shift in perspective where the pain I saw as a teacher that was giving me a lesson and it wasn't bad.
3: It was, mm-hmm.
0: it was a blessing. Mm. And that was the first moment of affirmation around, oh, there's no more good and bad. Mm-hmm there's just opportunities to learn. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And that perspective shift was the essence of the ball rolling down the hill.
3: What I love about that story too is, and Ali, you and I have talked about this a bunch, how at Breakland, we have to constantly um, unpack imposter syndrome. So many of the folks that we work with And so basically everybody on our team, too. I mean, we have to battle it all the time. And imposter syndrome, in some sense, is your negative voice telling you that you don't have whatever it takes to go after this particular opportunity, or you haven't earned the opportunity. And this was a moment where you were, you you shaped that internal voice, and you shaped it in a way that empowered you to, to make a really healthy choice. Where did you, how did you get it to flip like that? Hmm.
0: So I think because I hadn't um, understood at that time, that concept of like the slow drip of water over time can bore a hole in a rock. You should look at the grand Canyon and, and that's a big part of my leadership philosophy is no, you don't need to be pushed off the wall to humpty dumpty break yourself into pieces for you to pick yourself back up. If you put attention over time, then you can actually move in the right direction to turn on that spark of intuition. But for me, I did get my shell cracked. And because I got my shell cracked, that's what actually was the jump start to that pursuit of a better way. But once that jump start happened, I started to just put, um, I had awareness, I gained perspective, I set an intention, and then I put attention over time. And in that attention over time process, because I was determined not to give up, eventually you start to get a lot of the gunk out of your subconscious. And once mm-hmm. you get enough of it out, you find yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: you're willing to look into that Pandora's box and open it up and address whatever's going on in there. Mm -hmm. and love and hug yourself through it because you're building and developing your self-worth along the way, you will find the light switch to turn that voice on. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
0: that voice, if you feed it, it gets louder. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. You feed it
0: negative things, it gets louder with negative things. Mm
3: -hmm. You feed
0: it positive things, it gets louder with positive things. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for me, I was feeding it with positive things at that time I had just alarm clock for my life work experience and intelligent people who were so well adjusted in this world and progressive in their thought process and mission and purpose driven and trying to change the world for the better through technology. And it was just exciting and putting up big numbers and taking a giant 150 billion dollar company, Oracle, even though we were just like nipping at like the bottom of their ankles at that time, we were still like, Hey, you know what? we're going to graffiti Larry's boat right in the freaking little pond that he has in front of his building, you know, and, (gasps) and, uh, we were rebels, you know? And, um, and, and so it was, it was such a beautiful set of experiences to go through. It was inspiring all of that, um, opportunity to hear the sound of my voice.
3: Mm. Mm. And I want to bring us up to present day because now I mean you 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 had to do a lot of work on yourself. You had to unlearn some of the some of the the armor essentially that you had put around your mind and your heart. You had to kind of unlearn that and let that go. And then you had to build up a new skill set to become and to stay mentally and emotionally healthy. And Um, And now you do this as an executive leader, you know, really responsible for an entire team. And one of the things that you said to me once, which I really loved, you you said, I don't care if if you think someone who is outstanding, I don't care if that person has sales experience or not. I want you to, to introduce me if you think that they have their pilot light on which i just i loved that phrase like to me it meant there's a spark of greatness there they might not know exactly how to control it you know how to position it how to how to get it exactly to work for them yet but if the spark was there you were really interested and i think to me this also feeds into your leadership philosophy because there are a lot of folks out there who will say do not do not connect me with someone unless they went to this university and unless they worked at this company and unless they have this exact functional experience that's not what you were interested in you were interested in the pilot light can you can you share a little bit more about what you meant by that
0: yeah so um i i'm not here to negatively judge anybody else for what they believe is the right thing for their business and i some very, very talented and incredibly successful people uh, on this planet. I just really value my time. And I love myself more than I love anyone or anything on this planet. More than my mom, more than my dad, more than my wife, more than my dog. I love myself more than anybody else because the way that I can love them more than ever humanly possible is if there's just a bigger bucket of love to have for them. And so... I don't want to waste my time because it's the most valuable asset that I have and so I want to work with people who are incredibly invigorating and exciting and mission and purpose driven and want to do something to make the world that we live in a better place. and. I didn't know SHIT about selling software before I sold software. But you know what? Within 90 days, I was the top sales rep in the world for what is now a $25 billion company. And You know what? If I went back to that company today that I haven't been at for six years, I would figure out how to become the top whatever in the world for that company because that's just the way that I operate and the confidence that I have for how I can take and tackle things in this world. And you know what I want? I want people with that type of light. Because if, mm-hmm. you feed that, if you feed that little pilot light by putting a bat signal out there, I told you to try to find all the superheroes. I'm looking for superheroes. Sometimes superheroes don't know they're superheroes. They just need a little bit of attention
2: and then it comes on.
0: Mm-hmm. Once it comes on, you can't turn it off. And, and they're humble and they've got grit. And I don't want an organization where people are hinged to economic opportunity alone. Listen, I wanted Nikes more than anybody else did, and and I still want Nikes more than anybody else does. But I won't sacrifice emotional fulfillment for empirical success, because mm-hmm. I, I, want, I want I want them both, because I I only have so much time, and I want that time to be invested in a way that gives me the greatest amount of returns towards joy.
2: Mm. Because I don't
0: I, I don't use outside substance or circumstance or relationship to fill something missing inside of me. I work very, very hard to show up for this life in the most holistically wealthy way possible without any type of codependencies. And Mm -hmm. so I want open-minded, self-starting, mission and purpose-driven superstars. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: if you're one of those you know, there may be a certain place that I need to find for you coming into the business. Mm
2: -hmm. Like we've
0: done with some people that you've recommended already, Mm -hmm. but I'll get you in and I'll give you every opportunity because we have a learning and development culture. Like our job, one is to find very talented people, but then two is to develop those people to be even more talented than maybe they even think they can be. Mm -hmm. That's how you build a really great system. And if you look at any of the incredible sports franchises, or companies any organized human system that's healthy and successful
2: mm-hmm. they
0: they optimize what characteristics and profiles of traits would be maximum benefit within their system and then they develop those people to be even better than what they are when they walk in the door
3: mhm so one of the i'm good One of the, it's, it's interesting to me how you describe Hover. You don't describe it based on its primary products or services. You say it's a purpose-driven company that believes people are its most important assets. What do you, what did you mean by that?
0: So when, when I think about my responsibility within the business, I've worked really hard. I've come to a a place of maturity in terms of the level of influence that I should have for the company. And I believe that, of course, you know, I know that I need to generate the revenue. Like it's not lost on me, but I only generate the revenue to get more people. I don't generate the revenue... To make more revenue and my objective on this planet is not to be a rich guy M- my objective on this planet is to try to expose as many people as might be interested in a way of operating that can help liberate them and let them feel the power of intellectual and emotional freedom and so for me hover is just about the people either the people that work within the business or the constituents that we're responsible for outside of the business, partners, Uh customers. And so a company is nothing without
2: people.
0: Uh The objective isn't to hinge yourself to economic opportunity. It's to hinge yourself to a purpose that is greater than the money. And you know what's an amazing byproduct of that? Because we're capitalists, you can make a whole lot of money. But we're trying to do it in a way that's symbiotic to the planet. And for me, I I want to be able to create a consistency of approach and an example that we could set for how you could have empirical success with emotional fulfillment. And if you can drive that emotional fulfillment, then people aren't stones that you squeeze every drop of blood out of and then throw to the ground. You know, they're flowers that you breathe life into, and then they turn into an even more beautiful flower. And I don't know what you'd rather want. You want a graveyard full of stones or you you want a garden full of flowers? So it's like, that's just kind of the way that I think about our responsibility to people because humanity is not in the best place. There's really beautiful things that are happening. But if you think about the trial of the human experience and a lot of the things that people are plagued with, you know, it's like hyper successful adults who are still stuck as children, not confident that they're good enough. Like, I can't think of a sadder thing than that. And I, I dealt with it until I was 43 years old. Mm-hmm. It took a lot of work and, but, but, but we were able to move past it and not be in a survival mode, but, but be in a mode where you're thriving as a human being. And none of the other stuff will work if people don't feel good about who they are.
2: There's no mm-hmm. programming
0: that can be successful if you have a codependency to something else. So I just, people spend all their time at work, you know, it's like I get to ride a magic carpet of cash into their hearts, Alibaba style, and just start pushing on some buttons, you know, and, and it's such a strong sense of identity that like, it's easy to get in there. And then once it's in there, you know, you have different people that have different mindsets. Some people are innovators and early adopters, and they're likely adopters of this way of being, or they're already this way. And then you have other people who may have a little bit of cynicism or skepticism, but they are intrigued by what's going on. So we try really hard not to find cultural fits, but cultural contributors that are at least um, a willingness to try at a minimum. Belief at a maximum, but there's at least a willingness to try. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I guess it's more unique and differentiated than, than not. But... I'm hopeful to set an example that's so powerful with so much economic opportunity that everybody else figures out how to try to copycat it. And when they realize that the only way you can do it is through authenticity and vulnerability, then a whole bunch of people will start digging into how to do that because we'll set a blueprint for how um, you could build a, a multi-hundred billion dollar company and not cause a lot of thrash along the way.
3: Mm-hmm. Um. I I loved that story, or those set of stories, and I loved your comments around liberating yourself. And we haven't talked about this, but I I was in a moment of personal tragedy myself, and it was the first time that I felt trapped in my own body. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted very desperately to get away from this feeling, like the anguish, and I couldn't mm-hmm. cuz I couldn't separate my mind from my body, my heart from my body. Mm-hmm. And so I love the 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 whole perspective that you can have that internal liberation. You can liberate yourself from this really restrictive negative self-talk. And and I love that you're building a team that that has that skill set as well. One of the one of the Things that didn't surprise me, but I want to point it out is I went as I was preparing for this conversation and looked at your LinkedIn profile (laughs) and I want to say 90% or more of your posts are just posts about thanking other people and highlighting other people and the role that they've played in your career and in your life and at Hover and other companies. You shine a lot of light on others, which I think is such a wonderful quality that I really notice about you. And I don't, I think it just, it's, it is so authentic. You just talked about authenticity and vulnerability. It's so authentic to you to do that.
0: Yeah, th- thank you for, for saying that. I, I'll get a, a, a bad rap sometimes when somebody first meets me because they're like, wait a minute, are you trying to sell me something? Like, what, like? <laughs> Are you, are you gonna pull some carpets out of the back of your truck? Like, what 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 are you doing here, Ali? And, uh, and I always tell them the same thing, which is the way you can know that it's genuinely authentic is because I actually only do it for me. I, hmm. I, I do it because it makes me feel good. So if you're ever questioning what my intentions are, just know they're selfish. I'm using <laughs> being nice to you to be better to myself. And then they go. Oh. Okay. Got it. Wow. Okay. You are being serious then, huh? And I'm like, no, yes, this is just the way that I am. But I do it for me. I don't, I don't do it for you. I'm glad you benefit. I'm I'm awesome that it's symbiotic, but that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what makes me feel good because I care about how I feel. And now that I pour enough love into my own cup, I don't use being nice to you to be good to me. So that way we Mm. don't have codependence with one another. And I just do it because it makes me feel good.
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: to your point about some of the devastation that you went through, you have become one of the most well-adjusted human beings that I know on this planet. And it's a really great example to set that sometimes life gets underneath your faculty and your capability, no matter who you are. It doesn't mean that I don't ever stress. It doesn't mean that you don't ever stress. It doesn't mean that there isn't ever problems that I don't know how to deal with. It just means that I won't let it rob me of my sense of self. And at some point I'm gonna Mm -hmm. turn it into a learning experience for my life. Uh not something that's going to destroy the essence of who I am. Uh And I will, I'll find a way to turn it into a lesson for me
2: Uh to get better
0: in this world. But it might punch me in the gut really hard. It's just that I won't stay in that state forever. And I'll know in my mind, even though I'm I'm, I'm hurt really bad at the time, that there's a better place that I'm going to be able to be at as an outcome of that. And so I'm really sorry for whatever happened to you that put you in that spot. But on the other side, I'm thankful for whatever lessons it might have been able to teach you.
3: Well, I appreciate that. And, and I appreciate your candor and um, and your willingness to share because the in in our work every single day, we we are standing shoulder to shoulder with people who are choosing to be vulnerable, you know, saying Mm -hmm. I want something more for myself is Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there like that. And I want them to hear your story and hear the struggle and hear the transcendence. And also, your um your your conviction that it's not a singular story anymore now this is a story for a community it's a, a story for a society it's a story for the world and for all of us to to follow so thank you so much ali for sharing today such a treat always such a treat for me to chat with you and I'm just so delighted that our community will be able to hear part of your story as well
0: I'm thankful for the opportunity and i it's it's been a really a blessing to um, have had the opportunity to, to meet you and get exposed to the community. You have access to a group of incredible human beings who have real life experience and who have an unbelievable amount of courage, even more so than grit. And those attributes are very rare. And if anybody that's listening to this at any point in time doesn't take anything else away from this, I want them to know that the strength that they have to have shown up to even be at your doorstep, to be in your community, takes so much courage and so much capability. Competency can be gained easily. Don't worry about what you don't know. Be thankful about what you've been through. And there are more and more people in this world that are smart enough to realize that that is actually where the magic will happen for a business. And all you have to do is find a place that aligns your value system as a human being to a company's value system. And Breakline is an unbelievable bridge for helping get you there because you don't have to do it alone. So I I couldn't think of a better company to reach out to and partner with than than you all because we want people with that grit superheroes we want superheroes i told you that yeah and the break break line is full of a bunch of service oriented superheroes
3: mm-hmm. send them our way well ali thank you for seeing us and thank you for for seeing and valuing our work and such a treat to be with you today many many thanks for taking the time
0: yeah my pleasure
2: Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode in the Breakline Arena. We hope that you're walking away feeling a little inspired, a little bit moved, and feeling as if you learned something.
1: I tell you what, if you enjoy what you have heard today, we only need you to do one of three things. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe, and if it really touched your spirit, go on review and rate this episode. It would mean a lot to us. It helps us get the word out there. Um, it helps us continue to share this great content. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most importantly, we just love to hear what, you, what you'd what you have to say about uh, some of the content that we're putting out there. So um, please join us again here in the Breakline Arena. Once again, my name is Kenny Vaughn and I am signing out from the Breakline HQ with my partner in crime.
2: Sophia Bodwin, we will see you guys next week.